there's bad teachers out there, there's bad ministers, there's bad parents, but we don't say, oh, abolish all those fields. But in sales, this sort of push energy, it's as if I could be more aggressive and create more urgency in you. And I just want to say, have you ever watched that same behavior in a bar? If we're going to be allowed to go to bars again. It never works. It never, never works. And one of the things that we're seeing that's really interesting is as buyers get skewed younger and more female, it's even worse. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Lisa McLeod. She's the author of Selling with Noble Purpose, How to Drive Revenue and Do Work That Makes You Proud. And Lisa's just released the second edition of Selling with Noble Purpose. And I I know it sounds a little high-minded, but this book is something for sales leaders to read and take to heart. Same with sellers, because in it, Lisa spells out the value that sellers will receive from embracing her approach of selling with purpose. Now, Now, in this episode, we talk about what it means to sell with purpose. I mean, probably too much emphasis, I believe, on skills training and sales. After all, once you've got some experience, you've been trained a couple times, I believe most sellers are somewhat equal, plus or minus a little bit in ter- terms of their sales skills. But what, in my experience, what, those, what sets apart those who are consistently successful in sales is having a different perspective about what they're trying to do, about the purpose of what they're doing with their customers. And purpose is certainly that great perspective to carry into sales. Now, Lisa and I dig into what purpose means in the context of sales, as she talks about in her books. And it's a question that most sellers and sales leaders don't ask, which is really very simple. How will this customer be different? How will they have been changed as a result of doing business with us? And then we talk about how this impacts how you should sell, which is very important because that makes all the difference. So before we get to Lisa, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it. If you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing with a review, and we'd certainly appreciate that. All right, let's jump into it. Lisa, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. And you're joining us from where? I live outside Atlanta, Georgia. I live in a town called Greensboro, Georgia, overlooking lovely Lake Oconee. (laughs) And like how far away from Atlanta is that? It's about an hour outside of Atlanta. Okay, so it's not really even a suburb. You're... No, time. I'm out. I'm out there. I'm out there. What can I say? After my kids left high school, I wanted to get on the water. I told myself I was going to water ski every day. I'm lucky if I do it ten times a year. <laughs> okay. Well, what keeps you from doing it every day? You know, just same things that keep us from doing everything. It sounds like a good idea. Then you got to get out the boat, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. I mean, you know, I'm the queen of good intentions. We all are. Well, so is there something there that can drive the boat for you every day? That's the sad part. Yes, my husband will drive the boat whenever <laughs> I want. And now, see, I came on the show to talk to try and be a business expert, and now I'm revealing all of my personal failings. Well, and we're a minute in. This is all of them. If this is all of your personal failings, you are in fantastic shape. <laughs> oh, we're just getting started. I was going to say we could spend a week talking about mine. And that's just from my perspective. I'd have to ask my wife. I mean, it'd be a longer show. So, yeah. All right. Well, so resolution is ski more. Resolution is ski more. Ski more. So, 
All right, we'll put that down. We'll come back. We'll check on you. See if you're doing that. I mean, during the pandemic, I would think there was more time or do you, like everybody else, you found yourself busier? I'm finding myself busier. You know, we work with a lot of sales organizations. And so when they had to pivot, because despite the fact that there's a pandemic for a lot of people, it made business more challenging. And I'm talking about the people who still had business that they Mm -hmm. needed to to work on. And so I found myself spending a lot more time with sales teams on strategy and coaching and on Zoom calls all day long, which was great because I felt like I was helpful. But like a lot of people, you do start to get Zoom fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we're not doing this on Zoom. (laughs) <laughs> I want to want you to be fatigued from from doing it. So, um, well, let me ask you a question. So, what what do you think is biggest lesson that you've learned about yourself during the pandemic? I would say for me, the biggest lesson I learned about myself was I thought that I was a raging extrovert who really depended on other people for my energy, and I found myself and I. I want to, there's kind of a tricky dance about the way I want to say this because I am acutely aware of the real suffering, both physical and economic, being experienced by people. Having said that, as someone who was not experiencing that Mm. in a dramatic way, what I found was that I, that I really benefited from a level of introspection and being alone and reading more. And even though I was busy all day, I found that I was really drawn to some existential questions that I had asked myself at various other turning points in my life, but really about like, who am I and and why am I here? Mm -hmm. And I I don't think I'm alone in that. I think a lot of people experience that. But I I was surprised how quickly I went there and how much I enjoyed um having a, a less frantic life. I was surprised right. by that. So who are you? Well, what I decided was as I sort of went in, you know, probably the thing I'm best known for in business is this whole idea of noble purpose and helping mm-hmm. leadership teams and sales organizations. When I really went inside myself, what I realized is the reason I get so excited about that is I do like seeing companies succeed. But the thing that excites me the most is people waking up and loving their jobs. And I, and I realize that that is sort of the heartbeat and the essence of who I am, that it absolutely breaks my heart when people wake up and they just phone it in and they don't. Right. Care. And, and we all have bad days. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who have no sense of purpose or meaning in their life. Right. Which is basically how we structure a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, we're, when Lisa's talking about noble purpose, we're one of her books, which we're going to talk about today, is called "Selling with No Titled Selling with Noble Purpose: How to Drive Revenue and Do Work That Makes You Proud." And uh, a very good book, by the way, on my list of recommended books is, um, yeah, this this whole idea I think of phoning it in mm-hmm. is to me is this is this is a especially in sales. Let's just start with sales. It's a direct result of the way we structure and train Mm -hmm. people to do that job. It absolutely is. And so, you know, there's a concept in writing called the red thread. 
And the red thread is the through line, the storyline, the things you always keep coming back to. Like, for example, in writing, in the writing of the show Friends, the red thread is the friends. You know, there's all these different people come and go, but they always come back to the friends. And the red thread is a concept in writing that came from Chinese mythology that said um, that you were destined to be, you were, you were tied by a red thread to your future destined partner and that wherever you went in your life, you would always come back to them. And so the mm-hmm. reason I bring this up, this, you know, ancient Chinese storytelling and the red thread of TV shows is because in business, we have a red thread and the red thread is money. And everything is organized and comes back to that central story of how much money we're making. But, but it is completely the wrong red thread because when you're, when you're, primary organizing principle is how much money are we making? You are looking inward. When you're looking inward, you never create competitive differentiation. You don't have any great innovation and you also don't have emotional engagement because people can't stay engaged that long when the only answer to money is more. And so the thing that we've come to recognize is the thing that a lot of us knew in our hearts all along. People are hardwired to want to make a difference to other people. And when you work for a company and you don't have to change the world or provide life-saving vaccines, although if you do, that would be really nice right now, but (laughs) really nice. But, but even if your company, like we work with an IT company whose purpose was to help make small businesses more successful. Whenever you dial in to have how you are affecting other people, you come alive. And But as you said, so much of business is about stripping the emotion out, making it just about the numbers, as if they're these anonymous sort of levers that you can move up and down. And it's quite dehumanizing. And it's no coincidence in the years that we've gotten better and better at that, employee engagement has tanked. Yeah. Well, and I think that one of the real fallacies in sales is this idea that what separates people are... Well, starting point, it separates them are the skills. And I, mm-hmm. and I think that <laughs> I'm a believer that, yeah, basically, once people are trained, they all pretty much have the same skills. Yeah. And it's not really the, the skills that make the difference, as you talked about. I mean, I, the difference between, uh, and I don't like to use the word top performers anymore because, to your point, I think it's a little dehumanizing for everybody else. Yeah, between maybe the average and the above average sellers is, I found has always been this sort of unambiguous focus on the right things. It is. And one of one of which is understanding what your job is in sales, which is is yeah, this this perspective of which you know purpose is a a perspective. It's <laughs> I think most sellers, vast majority of sellers, really don't understand what their job is. Well, if you ask most salespeople what their job is, they'll tell you it's to hit my number. But we actually have done a good bit of research on this. And when you talk about skills, so the difference between a poor performer, someone who can't do the job, and someone who can, that difference is skills and self-discipline and all the things that we know to be true, that you can Mm -hmm. train people for. But the difference between the good performers and um, the exceptional performers in terms of sales numbers, that's the thing about sales is it's pretty easy to quantify because they're there every week, every month, every year. But the difference between the people who were merely good at their job versus the people who were exceptional, exceptional defined as 
made more sales, sold higher margin deals, and also sold stickier deals. So it had better customer retention. Those people were actually driven by this sense of what we call noble purpose. So when you ask them, what's the purpose of your job? They have an entirely different answer. They say, the purpose of my job is to improve life for customers. And mm-hmm. those that group of people um, were the top performers. There's been a number of studies on this. My firm did some. There was a recent study from Dr. Valerie Good at the University of Michigan, or Michigan State, rather, who did a study about this. And what's interesting is that individual performance or people that have this sense of purpose are better salespeople also translates into organizational performance organizations where the whole sales force has coalesced around this thing that we call a noble purpose, which is we're here to improve life for customers. Those become the top performing sales teams and they beat the competition. Because you think about it, who would you rather have calling on you? If you're a customer, someone who comes in and says, my purpose is to close this deal or someone who comes in and says, my purpose is to create value for you. Yeah. No, and that's that is the fundamental. That's the fundamental uh, difference, yeah. Difference and perspective, and again, I think for yeah, I wouldn't even know how to estimate the percentage, but I mean, I would say certainly three quarters of sellers. It's yeah, my job is to, you said, sell this product. Oh, we can I mean, estimate the percentage. It's only five percent at the top that think that way. Yeah, well, it's interesting. It's it's like this whole idea of how we categorize people mm-hmm. in sales is one that that bothers me. Because I think it contributes to sort of this dehumanization. I sort of referred to that a bit earlier. Is, is mm-hmm. yeah, managers say, "Oh, we've got A player, B player, C players." And it's like, yeah. I mean, implicit in that is this idea that somehow being good at what you do is is no longer good. Right. Right. You're yeah. their top performer, this mythical top performer, of which there are very few. Um. Or you're blow, you know, some part. Yeah. And it's like, that's not the way it works at all. I mean, look at the way the distribution you've got. Like I said, I would say you got below average, average, and above average. And then you got a real thin layer of people that are exceptional. But generally, well, we call them the rainmakers in sales. Yeah, I've never loved that term. Well, um, the thing about it is so I think there's two points on that. One is that. It is dehumanizing because what we have to do is decouple uh, a moment in time of work performance from your inherent worth and dignity as a human being. And we do a very poor job of that in our society, that if you're the top performer, we give you all these, we attribute all these things to you that may or may not be true. Same thing. Mythical qualities. Yeah. If you have an off year. And so part of what we have to do, and it's not just a company's job or leadership's job, it's your job as a human being is to decouple your performance at any given task from your inherent worth and dignity as a human being. You've got to be able to do that. But then the second thing that we know to be true is if you do have this greater sense of purpose at your, in your work, what we know is that we can actually train an entire sales team to have that. So those people in that are what you would call average performers, good performers, once they have that, they not only experience higher quantitative performance as we measure it, but they also have more resilience and have more meaning in their job. So the month when they don't make it, if you were supposed to sell a hundred this month and you've defined yourself by your ability to sell a hundred and this month you don't, 
well, you're screwed. Your confidence is shot. Your self-esteem is shot. Mm -hmm. You've defined yourself as a person who makes a difference to customers and you didn't sell hundred, you sold 80. It's not great, but at least you can say, I still did my job. I still made a difference to I still these, made a these companies. Yeah. yeah, and it's yeah one of the topics that that we're going to explore more on the show, and I know is getting more visibility out there is yeah mental health in sales. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was just reading something this morning from uh, some stories, an article, and had some stories of from individual sellers that yeah, to your point, precisely were unable to decouple themselves because they've been trained this way, unable to couple themselves from who I am as a person and hitting my number. That's right. And we everything in a sales organization leads you that way. And one of the things that we saw is we have um, implemented this methodology with close to 100 firms. And one of the things that we saw was, and some of them were in industries that were really hard hit, like travel. Others were Mm -hmm. in software that weren't hard hit. Others were in the kitchen cabinet business. And believe it or not, during a pandemic, after people settled down, they all wanted new kitchen cabinets. So it's all (laughs) across the map. But what we saw was those teams, when they had this sense of noble purpose, they had something to tether themselves to other than a number. Because if the only thing you are tethered to as an individual, as a sales team, as an organization, if all everything, the essence of who you are is tethered to a number, you're going to be in for a really bad time, even if we didn't have a pandemic. Because it's, it's fleeting. It's that dopamine hit that so many sales teams are living on. And we hit it this month. Okay, it's next month. Okay, let's go. And there's an energy there. But it's generally not sustainable. And what we know is when you have this sense of purpose, instead of living off dopamine, which is like crack, you always want more, you actually live off of serotonin, which is more long lasting, which creates more steadfast effort over time. That was what the study at Michigan State showed that salespeople that had this sense of purpose not only outperformed their peers, but they had um, more sustained effort over time because they, they weren't as blown off course when things didn't go their way. All right, well, let's take a step back and say, okay, so what what is this purpose? Right? So how do you how do you as an organization, how do you identify what your purpose is? And and is it a is it both an organizational purpose as well as an individual purpose? Or are they separate together? What do you know about that? They're together. But let me tell you, as an organization, you can do this as an organization, what I'm about to tell you. Or you can do it as an individual or somewhere in between as a team. To find what we call your noble purpose, you want to be able to answer three questions. How do we make a difference to our customers? How do we do it differently than our competition? And on your best day, what do you love about your job? If you answer those questions deeply, authentically, thoughtfully, Inside of those is your noble purpose. And so I'll give you some examples. A firm Mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier, uh, they decide their noble purpose was we help make small businesses more successful. I mean, it's hardly the most breakthrough, sexy thing in the world, (laughs) but everything they did, you're going to go, they're an IT firm. You're going to go out and call on a small business, find out what they're doing now and how you can make them more successful. It became the driving force and they drove like 10 X growth over this thing. Um, And, And so once you decide what your noble purpose is, we have a bank and their noble purpose is we fuel prosperity. 
mm-hmm. your noble purpose is about the impact that you want to have on your customers. Right. And it shifts that red thread of the business. It moves from we're here to make money and sure our mission statement says make money, serve all our stakeholders, be nice people, blah, 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 blah. Instead you say, we're here to improve the lives of our customers, but you want to do it in a concrete and specific way. Yeah. Well, the thing that struck me as I was reading your book is, is that, and this is, you know, I think for some people is when they hear purpose, they serve, their mind goes one direction. And you sort of alluded to this just before. It's, it, this is not, yeah, you know, your purpose doesn't have to be profound, doesn't have no. to be earth-shattering, doesn't have to be life-saving. <laughs> you can all have purpose, but it's finding that what that purpose is, what that focus is. As you said, how the customers' lives be different as a result of doing business. In with business you. with us. That is the driving question. That's what selling and leading with noble purpose are about is answering that fundamental question. And the reason I ask those three discovery questions and I'll repeat them for people because they are crucially important. How do we make a difference? How do we do it differently in the competition? And on your best day, what do you love about your job? What we're trying to get to there is a higher impact answer than the standard boring value proposition. Because usually mm-hmm. we have the value proposition is this, the here's our points of competitive differentiation, our employee engagement scores are this. None of those make people's hearts beat faster. What does make people's hearts beat faster is like the bank I told you when they say we feel prosperity and they show this is the guy we loaned money for to expand his dry cleaning chain. Mm -hmm, This is mm -hmm. how many jobs he created. This is what he did for his community. Like that's something that people go, okay, I want to be part of that. That's exciting. And, you know, you ask the question about personal purpose. You need to be bought into it yourself. But the way that you may buy into it might be different for each person. So, for example, in our company, our purpose is we help leaders drive revenue and do work that makes them proud. And the reason that that is important to me is we want to help people find the money and the meaning. And why that matters to me personally is because I have worked for a company that was going broke and it sucks. It absolutely sucks. Mm-hmm. Lying awake at night, worrying about how to make payroll. You don't make right. good decisions. It's terrible. So I want people to be financially prosperous. And the meaning is important. I've always found meaning in my job, but I was raised in a family where one of my parents did not. And I saw how bad it was to have a parent mm-hmm. come home every night who hated their job. Right. And so so that's an example of how you know the We Fuel Prosperity folks, their people are like, you know, I believe in small business. Some other people are like, I believe in controlling your own destiny. I mean, just all kinds of different reasons. But you want to have some organizational understanding of why you're here. And it has to be more specific than just we want to help customers. If you notice, help small businesses be more successful. We Fuel Prosperity. They've got mm-hmm. a little more specificity to them. And when you have clarity about that and you can think deeply about why it matters to you, it changes the whole way you go to work. Of course. I mean, I think it's one of the things that, that, again, you see this all the time. I see it all the time in sales organizations, is that you know the sellers don't have this unambiguous understanding of what their job is. Right. And right. so, as a result, they, they flounder. Right? Yeah, I'll follow the steps. I know I have these activity metrics. I got to make so many calls and so on. But, but there's no animating purpose to it. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, without that, to your point, you know, what are you doing, right? And this, you think this doesn't get communicated uh, to the to the prospect when you pick up the phone and call them? 
Of course it does. Of course it does. And your phrasing is is really accurate there when you say there's no animating purpose because they go through the steps, they know their sales process, but it's just like if one of the examples I often use is I don't talk use sports analogies very often, but I think I say I do. I make up for you. So go ahead. Okay, great. I never use them, but I have a good one now. This is a good one. Figure skating. Oh, I've never heard one for that. Okay. Okay. Figure skating scales. Perfect. Let's figure go. skating scales. Um, because in figure skating, if you've ever watched this figure skating in the Olympics, there's two scores. There's technical merit mm-hmm. and there's artistic impression. Mm-hmm. Nobody wins on technical merit. You can lose it on technical merit if you don't do all the jumps and turns, but it's the artistic impression. It's how engaged were you in in your own performance? How did the audience respond? It's more qualitative, but everybody knows it when they see it. I'm I'm not a figure skater, but I can watch the Olympics and I can go, oh yeah, that one's going to win. You can pick it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so where I liken it to sales is the sales process and all those things you're learning, that's the technical merit. You're not in the game without those. Yeah. Table stakes. Table stakes. But the but the the purpose, the sense of purpose, the the feeling that you have for your customer, that's the differentiator. And and what's ironic in sales is it's almost like we've trained sales managers to beat it out of people. Because I know I'm a former VP of sales. And when we coach salespeople and did pipeline reviews, we ask, when are you going to close it? How much is it going to be? Um, who are the decision makers? Who's the competition? Blah, 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 blah. But what we found in Selling with Noble Purpose was there's one question that changes that. And you already said it. When you ask a seller, how will the customer be different as a result of doing business with us? It totally changes their approach. It's completely different. And it's not what's our value prop, because then you can still just talk about yourself. But how will the customer be different as a result of doing business with us? You can watch the seller's mind leave their CRM and their pipeline review and all their worries <laughs> about whether they're going to close it. You can watch it leave them. I'm, I'm very animated right now. If you can't tell, um, you watch it leave their, their situation and their mind literally moves to the customer's situation says, how will they be different? And they start an entirely different thought process. And when you insert that question, into a pipeline review, when you insert that question into product development, how will the customer's life be different? When you insert that question into strategy, it changes everything for an organization. Those become the breakthrough organizations. Yeah, I, I right, I agree. And I, I sort of use different words around it and is that, you know, I think one of the, the big problems that we have in sales, and it's not new, this has been around forever, is that I call it sort of the difference between persuasion and influence. Mm-hmm. You know, we are all about persuasion, right? We're, we're going to teach you that here's a product that, you know, we're going to teach you, you know, the logic behind why somebody needs to buy that. And your job is to persuade somebody to buy that logic. Right. As opposed to saying, we're here to help you make an informed purchase decision. How can we help you do that? Right? How can we help you make a decision to achieve your desired outcomes? And when you start from those two different points, you're going to get two different outcomes. And it, you really nailed it there because the, the first one, the quote, persuasion, is persuade you into my side, my logic. Yeah, and mine the into best. what I think is the right thing into for what you. what I think is the best. And the other one is find out what you're trying to accomplish and see if there's a way that I could help you. And I may need to 
illustrate for you why I am uniquely qualified or the best qualified person to help you. But the North Star is very different. And that that's what that's how I ended up getting into this. I had a long time background as a sales trainer. I was a sales trainer and then I was a VP of sales for a sales training company. And what I saw was all of these skills and techniques, none of them were particularly bad, but when they were deployed in the service of the close, they became manipulative. But when they are deployed in the service of helping the customer improve, they feel totally different. Yeah. Well, I mean, (laughs) uh, Jonah Berger, who's a professor at Wharton, has written a book called Catalyst, How to Change People's Minds. Oh, I have that book. I love that book. Yeah. But one of the key things he talks about, and he's going to be on the show here shortly, is um, what he calls persuasion resistance. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's this, I call it a cognitive bias that we have as people is that we hate being persuaded. Yeah. And yet, the one thing that our buyers hate most of all is exactly what we train our salespeople to do. Well, it's interesting because people hate being, quote, sold to. But I actually think sales is one of the few professions where we let the people who do it badly define the profession. So yeah, we, well, we all true. know that there's some That's because they're in the majority. Right. There's bad teachers out there. There's bad ministers. There's bad parents. But we don't say, oh, abolish all those fields. But in sales, this sort of push energy, this push, um, it, it, it's as if I could be more aggressive and create more urgency in you. And I just want to say, have you ever watched that same behavior in a bar? If we're going to be allowed to go to bars again. <laughs> It never works. It never, never works. And one of the things that we're seeing that's really interesting is as buyers get skew younger and more female, it's even worse. Mm-hmm. They're not having anything to do with that kind of behavior. And, I, and one of the things we saw after COVID, one of our um, VPs of sales said to us, and they have big tech company, big numbers. He said, I want my people to be seen as helpful and not scavengers. Oh, scavengers. Good word. I thought that was a really good word. Right. But I think that, and this is something that I've been talking about more and more recently, is, and I think we need to come to grips with it, is the fact that so much of the behavior that we sort of universally decry about salespeople is motivated by fear. Mm-hmm. So it's a profession that operates almost entirely out of the basis of fear, Right. Salesperson, you're afraid you're not going to make your number because you're being pressured by your manager who's afraid he's not going to make his number or is being pressured by a director, you know, and so on, all the way up the chain. Right. And it's one of the reasons that we've got these, I believe, as a result why we're so in certain parts of the f- certain businesses, um, software being one of them, being so driven by metrics. Mm-hmm. You know, people putting the patina of science on it, but it's not science. It's about compliance and control. Yeah. And it, it is fear-based and, and it... And I want um, those listening, I want you to compare two conversations. The What has been the traditional sales conversation is you've got to hit your number. If we don't hit these numbers as a company, we're going to be out of business. I need you to go out there and I need you to close it, close it, close it. The one of you that hits the biggest number is going to get this much money. The rest of you are losers. You know, it's whatever. <laughs> yeah. And so, right. so what happens is that person's amygdala, that salesperson's amygdala is ignited. They've now dropped about 30 IQ points. Strategic thinking has gone out the window. All they can think about is close it, close it, close it. And the manager thinks, great, that's all I want to think about. Well, mm-hmm. 
unfortunately, that's very off-putting to the customer. Compare that to someone that says, as a number of our clients said when the pandemic hits, was our customers need us now more than ever. We have some tools that will make them really uh, more successful in this environment. So what we need to do is we need to get out there with a lot of energy and find out what's going on with our customers right now. What are their biggest challenges? What are their biggest biggest goals right now? And we need to help them solve for those. The urgency comes because they need us. And and it's really interesting because there are two different types of urgency. When you have urgency because you are afraid, you become frantic. You don't think strategically. When you have urgency because someone else needs you, you become focused and you show up as your best self. They're two totally different ways of thinking. One is about a improving life for others. Mm-hmm. That's when you're focused. When you're frantic to just try and hit your own number, you you make bad decisions. Hello, Wells Fargo. <laughs> yeah, hello, Wells Fargo. Uh, yeah, I mean, what I, I think a sort of example of what, in a way that maybe people aren't thinking about is is there's been so much is written in the immediate aftermath of the shutdown and so on is that you could hardly open your eyes on LinkedIn or some other place without somebody saying, now we need to lead with empathy. Yeah. And I'm like, don't you always need to lead with empathy? Yeah. This is not new. <laughs> now we need to lead with empathy, now, but, right. yeah, but before, nah, <laughs> it's just like that mm-hmm. revealed people's true colors in ways they didn't really, I think, think about it. Right. Which is, yeah, now we are. But as soon as this changes, we're not going to be again. You know, I'm going to push back on you with that. I agree with the first half that people went, oh, empathy. Apparently it's a thing. What do you do? I, you know, I had people calling, could you do a class on empathy? Yes, I can. But the thing that I will tell you is that I'm going to push back on is I think once you experience it and you experience the benefits of it and you step into it, I'm hoping that for a lot of people it will stick. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping but I'm not hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> I am more I am more hopeful that it will stick because the other thing that's going to happen right now everybody really needs their job. If you've got a job and your boss is leaning on you in a fear-based way and your company is just pounding 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 the metrics, you may stay because you need your job. But this is going to come out. We're going to come out of this in some form or fashion. And top talent is going to have choices. And the way that companies treat their employees and their customers right now is going to define their brand for at least a decade. Mm -hmm. And so what's going to happen is if you were that company that just was scavengers and tried to close everything you could from customers, if you were that boss that just pounded on your people you might do a little bit better right now, but it will be marginal at best. And you're going to lose your customers and you're going to lose your people. And 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 I want to make it really clear. It doesn't mean that you need to be soft on people. It doesn't mean that you don't need to close sales. There is a better way to close sales than trying to light up the lizard brain of your entire sales. <laughs> well, I think one of the things that, that, you know, comes out of the book and other people have written about this as well, like Adam Grant and Give and Take, is that mm-hmm. you know, he talks about you can be a giver, which I'll say is somewhat analogous to selling with purpose, yeah, and still have an agenda. 
Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's okay. It's not like, you know, people might yeah, misinterpret what you're saying about purpose is somehow, oh, this is this is really soft and, you know, we've got to go out and get business and, you know, we can't afford to be that way. It's like, no, that's not what's being said here. It's, yeah, you can still have the agenda. You want to make money. That's fine. But it's an outcome of what you're doing. It's not the driving purpose. And you have to have that confidence that that you'll be able to achieve that. That's exactly what it is. The money is a lagging indicator. And what happens is if we manage to lagging indicators, we are looking, the money you're making today is a direct result of the thought, the thoughts, beliefs, and actions of your people months, maybe even years ago. And so what we know is sellers with this noble purpose outsell sellers focused on targets and quotas. Companies with a purpose bigger than money outperform the market by 350%. Employees that have this sense of purpose are more likely to save the company and more likely to be fully engaged. And so people create a false dichotomy, and you probably see this in your life in other places where someone will say, like, have you ever had a low-performing employee? And you say, um, I need you to be on time. And they say, well, it took a long time to get everything prepared and get all the slides together. So do you want me to be on time or do you want me to be prepared? And you just want to smack them upside your head because you go, it's a false dichotomy, dude. I think you can manage both. This is the exact same thing with the money and the meaning. It's a false dichotomy. The money follows the meaning. The more highly engaged people are and the more sense of meaning they have in their organization, we can look at organizations like some of the hallmark organizations that we know, like, you know, I already talked about Apple and Google. I can tell you, we have a company. We have a couple companies on our website. If you Google Noble Purpose, you'll find them. We've got a bank. We've got a concrete company. And when mm-hmm. those people implemented this Noble Purpose and they activated it with all their people, they started winning best place to work awards. The bank was on the right. cover of the American Banker as the best bank. That's so in the book, right? This this dichotomy, well, we've got to be tough, we gotta to make the money, is complete bullshit. Right. It, it it it's a false dichotomy. Well, again, it comes from the perspective of fear. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we've got to maintain the pressure because if I don't maintain the pressure, I'm afraid we're not gonna hit the number. Um I mean there's there has to be a point at some point where even to, to implement selling with purpose is where someone has to say no, right? We're not going to do it that way. Say no to what? Say no to selling. Well, say no to the same old way of doing things. Yeah. Say, say no to the fear base. Say no to the, you know, being as consumed by the metrics as you talked about in the book with your strategy subrogation is like, or surrogation is like, yeah, it's just no. Yeah. I mean, that's what happened at Wells Fargo. No one said no. No one said no. And that Wells Fargo is a good example of strategy surrogation, which is when the metric takes the place of the strategy. So Wells Fargo's strategy was to um, cross-sell. And, do, and the uh, then-CEO said it's a result of us serving our customers well. They want to get, give us more of their business. But what happened was the metric became what kind of share wallet of the customers mm-hmm. do you have. And the, the metric surrogated for the strategy. And so you're right. Someone has to be able to say no. But what I will tell you is someone always says no to that kind of, that kind of management 
to just the numbers. And one of two people will say no. Either a leader in the company will say no and say, we can do better. Or eventually your customers will say no. And we have lots of examples of that. When you look at companies that were once giants in their space, uh, Blockbuster, Sears, BlackBerry, at a certain point, what happened in all of those companies, people say they got out innovated. They did. But the reason they got out innovated, instead of looking out at customers and saying, how can we make a difference to customers? All of those companies were looking inward and saying, how can we make more money? And so Blockbuster puts overpriced candy at the checkout. Meanwhile, Netflix understands, oh, we're not in video business. We're in the business of providing people great entertainment at home. How can we do that? Blockbuster decided we're the money-making business. So we're going to put candy at the checkouts. We know how that turned out. And so there's, there's hundreds of examples. And one of the things that we know to be true is managing your business to the numbers is better than not managing your business at all. If you're just sloppy about everything, you're not going to have a mm-hmm. business. But managing your business to the numbers will create an undifferentiated transactional business. Your customers will treat you like a transaction, and so will your employees. Right. Yeah, and then you get the turnover and everything, the, the churn on both both fronts. That Right. Which you're sort of, to some degree, you're sort of projecting will happen perhaps when things start coming back to normal when employees have more choice. Yeah, when employees have more choice. And what's going to happen in the meantime is, you know, people, when people feel this sense of meaning and purpose, they lean in and they're resilient. When they don't feel it, they don't always quit. They do something worse. They quit and stay. So Mm -hmm. they keep showing up for work and collecting a paycheck, but their hearts aren't in it. And that's what's starting to happen. Yeah, I mean, Gallup has, has talked about that in polls that yeah. a majority of employees show up and are unengaged. And so what happened when everyone went home was all the peripheries. If you worked in that cool office with the ping pong table and the free lattes and all these peripheries that might have made your work seem fun. And believe me, I love a latte as much as anybody. But when all those were stripped away, what you were left with was just your work. Mm-hmm. And if you felt like that work was meaningless it became excruciatingly difficult for people to motivate themselves to do it. Yeah. Especially at this, this period where right. you know, everything's being conducted on zoom. You're working more hours. So you're not necessarily doing more, probably not doing more, but feeling like right. you're working more. Yeah. Yeah. If you felt, felt alienated from the workplace at that point <laughs> before then, now you really do. You really do. And the, the thing that makes me sad about that though, to be honest with you is I'm sure some people are doing meaningless work. Having said that, most of the time when we go into a company, we find that there is meaning in the work. The employees are just removed from it. And so it's probably not a coincidence that my favorite movie that I watch every year at Christmas time is It's a Wonderful Life, which is that mm. old corny movie about how he goes back and sees, oh my gosh, I was a banker. I helped all these people. It's such a big deal. There's uh, the play Our Town where the people are dead and they look and they say, oh, life is so beautiful. We didn't know it. In my experience, most jobs do have an impact on others, but we tend to remove ourselves from that and just focus on the KPIs. And that that is a recipe for disengagement. Yeah. I mean, well, I said disengagement on two fronts, as you point out, both on the, the sellers and the buyers. Yeah. yeah, I have yet to meet a company 
that had passionate customers that did not also have passionate people. If you can't get your people to get excited about your offering, it is highly unlikely that your customers are going to be excited either. And that's what we see when VPs of sales come to us and want help. They say, oh, we have this bad customer churn. Oh, our margins are down. Deals always come down to price. And often they'll say, we need better customer service or we need to be better negotiators. Maybe, but more likely, it's something a little bit further upstream. It's the way the deals were sold. And the understanding yeah. of the customer's goals, that's that's usually what's lacking. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd, speaking of upstream, I was reading uh, Dan Heath's book called Upstream about mm-hmm. problem solving and so on. And, you know, a great quote in there from Edward Demings about every system's perfectly designed to achieve the results it gets. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what happens. Yeah. And the sales ecosystem is something in this new edition of Selling with Noble Purpose. One of the things that we did, this is the second edition. And one of the things that we did was we had a lot of experience with clients and we were able to identify what are the things in the ecosystem that are turning your sellers away from customers and what turns them towards customers. And some really simple things like the daily coaching the salespeople are getting the way your CRM is set up, the way you do uh, product roll rollouts, tweaks to those when you move from it's all about us to here's how it makes a difference to the customers is a game changer because that is the system in which your salespeople are operating. And if you are telling salespeople focus on the customer, but all you talk about internally is hit the number, hit the number, it's going to be very only a very small percentage of people, salespeople are going to be able to overcome that. But when you change that internal ecosystem, the majority of salespeople can step into that. But the really, that seems like the big challenge is really at the management layer. It is the big challenge, but I will tell you, it's not that difficult. And you know what? That's not true. It was really difficult over the last 10 years to figure out exactly what to do. But we identified a punch list of like 12 things that if you do them, it's, it changes everything. So such as? It can be done. Uh, such as when you do deal reviews, if the managers ask every single time, how will the customer be different as a result of doing business mm-hmm. with us? Number two, require the seller have that in the CRM and they can't go forward and get pricing approval until they have it. Mm-hmm. And it's not meant to be punitive. Those two things, managers asking it, sellers having to put it in the CRM, those two things are game changers. Third thing, start every meeting with a customer impact story. Instead of starting with the numbers, every time you describe sales numbers, describe one sale and how it made a difference to customers. So change the narrative of the organization. Mm -hmm. When we do product rollouts, we've got a format for that that shows how you tell the story of how it's going to affect the customer. So these things are not the normal way of doing business, but if you implement them, and we spent a long time figuring out which things had the highest impact, if you implement these things, what we've seen is within, we, people ask us how long it takes. We say it takes a day and a year. What we've seen is if you do them, the very first day you do them, people are like, oh, wow, that's different. I love this. This is really cool. And what we've seen with our clients is about a year, within a year, you are experiencing exponential sales results. Hmm. Cool. All right. Lisa, thank you.
It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Well, pleasure to have you on the show, and we'll do it again. So, And thanks for reading the book. I love a host who reads the book. That's awesome. <laughs> always read the book. <laughs> Me too. I interview people too. I always read the book, but everyone does not. So thank you. Well, my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I recommend that people buy it and read it. So um, if people want to learn more about what you're doing, connect with you, how can they do that? Uh, what they can do is just Google Noble Purpose. And you will find our website. And if you'd like to follow me on LinkedIn, I do a LinkedIn Live every Friday. We send out a newsletter every week on LinkedIn. So find me on LinkedIn, Lisa McLeod, M-C-L-E-O-D. But if you, uh, if you Google Noble Purpose, one of the things you'll find on our website, look at those customer videos and ask yourself, is that the kind of thing that you want for your team? Because it's not rocket science. You can do this. Yeah. Things really are rocket science, except for rocket science. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Lisa, thank you very much. Oh, such a pleasure. Thanks. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Lisa McLeod, for sharing her wisdom with us today. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, well, we'd certainly appreciate that. And you can do that all on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much, as always, for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.